Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Carl Higby in for him till next week. Earlier today, we witnessed a 20-minute case study on term limits. 20 minutes of word salad, trying to dodge every bit of responsibility for what is happening to us right now in Afghanistan, but all the while telling us the buck stops with him. In April, I made a decision to end this war. As part of that decision, we set the date of August 31st for American troops to withdraw. Let me be clear. Leaving August the 31st is not due to an arbitrary deadline. It was designed to save American lives. Well, if you watched the show yesterday, you saw that it's pretty heavy for me. I mean, with the death of 13 U.S. service members in Kabul, it, it's hard for me. Well, tonight's another tough show because we officially hand over the reins in Afghanistan to the terrorist organization that helped plan and execute 9-11. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. Tell us, I mean, tell us, that, that's our president right now. Tell me we're not back where we were 20 years ago with the same terrorists running the same country with the same intentions. The mission was not a success. Not one person who actually fought that war would refer to this as a success. He also made it seem like this is exactly how everything was supposed to go. This is the way the mission was designed. It was designed to operate under severe stress and attack. And that's what it did. In what world? I mean, more from Joe. Thousands of Afghan translators and interpreters and others who supported the United States out as well. Thousands of Afghan interpreters, hmm? kind of like the guy who saved your tail in 2008. That guy? 13 years ago, February 2008, when then-Senator Biden was in a helicopter in Afghanistan with fellow senators John Kerry and Chuck Hagel, their helicopter was forced down due to a snowstorm. Well, an Afghan interpreter, who goes by the name Muhammad to keep his identity safe, drove hours off-road in the rugged mountains during the storm to help rescue these three senators. Amazing heroics. He was there to save our now president's life. How's Muhammad doing now? Oh, that's right. Joe left him behind in Afghanistan. That is who Joe Biden is. And if you voted for him, shame on you, because he would leave you behind just as fast. And prove me wrong. You don't believe me? You think I'm wrong? Prove it to me. Go ahead. This is the kind of D.C. garbage you get when electing a 50-plus-year politician that only cares about himself. And you know what else? This is what happens when you pull out with no plan. Talking about what's happening in Afghanistan, especially seeing my brothers and sisters coming home in boxes, this is tough for me, guys. And if you're a veteran out there watching, I'm sure it's just as hard for you, too. Joe had this to say to families this afternoon. We owe them and their families a debt of gratitude we can never repay, but we should never, ever, ever forget. The next thing I'm, I'm going to show you also weighs pretty heavily on my heart. This is the scene on the streets of Kabul. Hours, not, not days, not weeks, hours after the last American troops left. What's being described as reports is the Taliban victory parade with coffins draped with the American flag as well as other countries. They're being paraded around the streets. I can't unsee this. And neither can the families of the fallen or any other veteran that spent their time over in Afghanistan. And we're going to speak to the uh, father of Marine Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover in just a moment. But according to Biden, 
This August 31st withdrawal was designed to save lives. Let me be clear. Leaving August the 31st is not due to an arbitrary deadline. It was designed to save American lives. I want to remind those who might ever consider voting Democrat again, barring like a severe IQ deficiency, why you should never vote for anyone that doesn't put America first, ever. Now, I want you to grab your liberal friends and make them watch this because in between hitting their local pot dispensary or their next faux outrage social justice campaign, let's give them a reality check. The guy they said was literally Hitler, Trump, versus their golden calf, Joe Biden. You think you ever have it that bad? Consider the fact that the number one health issue among poor people in this country is having too much to eat, obesity. So spare me if you think you're somehow oppressed here in America. But with that baseline, remember when America was winning? Like, I'm seriously, like, when we didn't leave Americans in foreign countries to fend for themselves? That's when America was winning. We will have so much winning if I get elected that you may get bored with winning. We used to have victories. We don't have victories. We're going to have so many victories that you're going to be bored of winning. You're going to get so tired of it. We are going to keep winning at every level. We're going to win so much that you're going to come and you're going to say, Mr. President, we're winning too much. I can't stand it anymore. And I'm going to say, I don't care. That's a guy that I want. Folks, I've said it before. America can survive a Barack Obama or a Joe Biden or whoever else. But what we cannot survive is an electorate dumb enough to keep electing fools like that. Forgive me for sounding cliche, but we really, we really can, if we want to, we can make America great again still. But it starts with you and I getting out there and making sure people don't forget how good we have it. If you can go to the store consciously worry, without worrying about a terrorist attack or a roadside bomb, you have it pretty good. I know that's foreign to a lot of people here, but that's a reality. That security, though, it comes at a price. It's not, it's not a price paid by people in D.C., it's a price paid by the 13 soldiers who didn't come home alive. They came home under a flag. So when someone tells you they support Democrats, maybe you should just ask them why. Make them articulate. Seriously. I don't care if it's over Thanksgiving dinner, family reunion, Christmas, whatever. I don't care. It's time to have those arguments because we've let it go too long. 13 Americans came home in boxes. So yes, this is the venue. Because if not now, when? That's the conversation we need to have. And it might get uncomfortable, but imagine how those families of those people that didn't come home, imagine how those families feel. Think they're comfortable? No. And I tell you, the Republican Party, you better wake up. You need to start believing in the messenger as much as the message. I mean, look, uh, there's not a person on this planet that voted for Trump because he was a choir boy, okay? Just not the reality. But let's talk about how star-spangled awesome America was then versus now. Remember under Trump when ISIS became just a faint whisper? It's because he projected American strength, told them if they played stupid games, they would win stupid prizes, and they believed him. He's also not, he didn't do this by starting another war. I mean, energy independence. We produce more oil than ever before, and we didn't need to rely on OPEC, countries who hate us. This gave us leverage far beyond oil. And you know what? This controlled the cost of everything globally not to mention gas was at its lowest price in like a decade. For the first time in 70 years, we exported, America exported more oil than it imported. Biden came in, bam, shut down the Keystone pipeline. Now gas is over four bucks a gallon in some places. Trump cut taxes for everyone. I know the liberal talking point is, oh, only for the rich. That's patently false. You're wrong. 
And if you believe that, I can't help you because the average middle class in America paid thousands less in taxes on average. So when you tell me that only benefited the rich, you're dead wrong. And you wanna know how I know this? Because I'm very fortunate. My wife and I work extremely hard and we are in that upper income class. And you know what? I paid a whole lot more in taxes because of the salt, and the salt deductions were eliminated. Okay, I still think it was a win for America. Trump eliminated eight regulations for every new one on the books. And you know what happened? Businesses started growing again, winning. Operation Warp Speed. He opened the doors for the creation of a vaccine in record time. Better trade policies. NAFTA doubled the child care tax credit. Right to try. Got other countries to finally contribute $400 billion to NATO. And the list goes on. Winning. Love him or hate him. Trump was the greatest case study of what happens when you have someone not from politics run a country. And all the media did was talk about how offensive he was. Great job. Crack reporting, guys. Look, if you're a lib watching, instead of taking to Twitter just to whine about your basket-weaving degree and how it didn't let you get a job in Trump's economy, come at me, bro. Bring your facts. Bring the receipts. I mean, seriously, what is Biden's greatest accomplishment? I mean, what are you, you going to be known for, Joe Biden? What one single thing do Democrats have going into 22 or 24 that you can hang your hat on and say, man, I'm super glad I voted for Biden. Seriously, name one. I'll wait. I mean, there is nothing. So when you go to the polls next year or 2024, what do you want? Because I want a guy working his tail off every waking minute. Not a guy who can't stay awake through a meeting with our longest and quite frankly, our only real ally in the Middle East. I mean, you want a guy who was more accessible to the press than any other president, or the guy that can't take a single question? You want a guy who was willing to drop the most powerful non-nuclear explosive in our arsenal to stop terrorists, or the other guy who arms the enemy with 16,000 pairs of night vision goggles? Seriously. How do you want our embassies protected overseas? You want to see that Taliban flag over flying over the top of what, is, what was our embassy in Afghanistan? I prefer an airstrike against anyone who threatens it, like Trump did. I want the guy who respects our flag. The guy, not someone who takes their cue from people who hate it. That's the man. That right there is the man we voted for and we got results. We made America great again. So folks, let's fill it up again. Now one of the brave men and women who we lost in last week's bomb blast at the airport in Kabul was Marine Staff Sergeant Darren Taylor Hoover, 31 years old from Midval, Utah, we're now joined by Sergeant Hoover's father, whose name is also Darren. Sir, I, I, words cannot express. I, I, I wish I could do the world for you. I, I am so sorry to hear about you know, the sacrifice your son had to make, but thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you? Uh, I'm holding up. We're holding up so far, but, and I want to tell you thank you for your service as well. Well, your, your, your son gave far more than I ever did for this country, and you, you, he will not be forgotten. And I don't just say that in a cliche way. I, I, I can't express to you I've, what you must be going through. So, I, you know, your son served this country for 11 years in the Marines. Talk about what inspired him to join, if you could, sir. Um, well, it all started, it started long before 9-11, but uh, with his compassion and his love and his big heart for people. But... Um, September 11th, when it happened, um, he was 11 years old. And at that time, he, after watching everything and trying to understand, asking his mother and I questions about it, um, he said that he wanted to serve. 
And we're like, well, okay, you're, you're 11 years old, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, we got some time. And by the time he got in high school, uh, you know, he, he'd have more life experiences, not much, but a, a little. Mm -hmm. And in high school, the recruiters would come by and he decided on the Marine Corps right off the bat. Came home and told us and we're like, okay, well, let's sit down and we'll talk about it. And we did and talked it over with a few friends and had them come in and talk to him. And he still ultimately decided that that's where he wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly selfless decision for him to, to make, especially with, you know, coming from a great family and a great home. Now, you and your family refused to meet with President Biden. And I don't want to get super political here, sir. I know it, the, the, the media has run its course on this. But honestly, on a personal level, why didn't you want to meet with him? We as a family decided, we talked and decided that Taylor wouldn't want us to do that. Um, and honestly, in my own personal feelings, um, the emotion is still raw. Um, he's the one that sent them in there and abandoned them. And that sentiment is echoed by several, several of his teammates. Um, from all three of his separate units that he was in, um, that basically they were abandoned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tough thing to stomach, and I have, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to defend Biden here, but I always want to believe that the president of the United States, no matter which party, would always be there for thick and thin for all of our service members, and I think your sentiment is is correct on this one. Unfortunately. Now, the president just a few hours ago, he said, he said the following. Take a listen to this. Maybe it's because my deceased son, Bo, served in Iraq for a full year. Before that, well. I feel like this is like a little bit tone deaf considering the current circumstances. And I, I, I just I'm hesitant to to allow him to get away with this. But it is, you know, he did lose his son, not in war, but. What, what is your take on this, from one father to another? Uh, to me, that was extremely selfish, extremely disrespectful. This isn't about his son. This is about the 13 men and women that were killed defending this country and attempting to get as many people into that airport and out of that, that hole that is Afghanistan. This. And I, I, I'm sorry for his loss as well, and I wouldn't wish that on any parent, mm -hmm. but I'm in the same boat, except my son was killed defending this country. By a decision. His was already out of the military. Yeah. Well, your son was killed by a decision made by that chain of command and not, not a medical issue. Um, now, I, 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 w without any, any question to this, your son is an American hero. No doubt, and he should be raised up, and, and his, his legacy should be taught throughout schools, uh, along with the other 12 service members we lost on this. this. This should be a study that makes America a better place. And I, I want to I make sure that the viewers out there know that beyond politicalization, the, the decisions that led to this should be taught in every war college, in every enlistment, and every battle plan ever. And I, I hope my only hope is that his legacy serves as some sort of lesson to the chain of command. But I know your son, uh, you know, is, is would have wanted you guys to go on 
and there's new, some new fundraisers out there. How can people help raise money for this cause, for, for, to help cover expenses? Anything we can do as viewers that we can do for you guys, what is it? There are a couple of them that are out there. Um, one of them was started by his uh, fellow Marines mm -hmm. on GoFundMe. And there is another one that was started by the Fraternal Order of Police here in Utah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Help a Hero. Yeah. And it, the outpouring of love and, and, and admiration and you know, support from across this country and actually across the world. I've received a couple of calls from people of other countries mm -hmm. um, telling them how, or telling me how sorry they are that this has happened. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing, the outpouring of love that, that is, and support that's come in for our family. And, and rightfully so. Mr. Hoover, father of Marine Staff Sergeant Darren Taylor Hoover, we thank you so much for your time, sir, and we hope you are well. Stay in touch with us, and uh, we, we'll help you any way we can. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, folks. We'll be right back. I'm Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. Already, DHS has been working closely with agencies across government, including our military, diplomats, intelligence community, and law enforcement professionals, and many others, to ensure that all Afghans are screened and vetted prior to being allowed into the United States. Okay, that was Jen Psaki explaining how Afghan refugees will be screened and vetted before they're able to come to the United States. Might be tough to explain this one, then. A 47-year-old Afghan named Haider Haideri, whatever his name is, a convicted rapist who was previously deported from the Trump administration, you know, the one that cared about America, managed to board an evacuation flight like this one out of Afghanistan. And if there's one, there must be at least others, we assume. Forming Acting Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection, Mark Morgan, joins us now. Sir, uh, welcome to the show. How the heck does this happen? Yeah, Carl, we know right now we're seeing one of the most massive, rush, chaotic you know, evacuation we've seen. And look, I, I, don't, I don't hold the military personnel responsible for this, right? I mean, this administration, the Biden administration created a fire, directed the military to put it out, and then when they give, give themselves a, a medal for putting the military in harm's way to address their, their, their chaos that they've created. But what's happening, every single brief, you've seen it, Carl, so have I, the mission has been clear for the military. It's rushed. Get people mm -hmm. on planes as fast as possible. Look, right. you've served it, it, this, uh, this country so have I. I've been in operations where, where the mandate was to do something rushed. When you do that, there is something that is going to be lost here. There's going to be things that are exploited. Right now, I do not believe that rushed is the right thing with respect to terrorist organization. And look, you just gave one example. Right now, the UK talked about an individual who was on a no-fly list that got on a plane. Reports are saying right now that other people have gotten on a plane that had ties, connections to, to uh, 
uh, the Taliban as well as the ISIS. This is a mistake on top of a mistake. Oh, yeah. And, but here's what I just don't understand. You have Americans with American passports in hand at the gates in Kabul being like, get me the heck out of this country. And they're like, sorry, gates are closed because some bureaucrat 5,000 miles away said so. Yet you've got a, a, a rapist who was deported from America back there and he gets on a plane. How? I mean, like, do you just fire everybody in charge at this point? Yeah, I think I think you start having those discussions. Look, and it's even worse than that. We've heard already that that one of our allies actually rescued then Senator Joe Biden in 2007, who has stranded now. It makes no sense. Right. But look, when when your mission is is to to rush and instead of prioritizing Americans and those SIVs that really risk their lives to help American soldiers, this is what you get. What I'm being told right now, the majority of of Afghans reaching American soil. Are, are not those that actually risk mm -hmm. their lives help. They're just individuals that want to get out of the country. And look, real quick, Carl, this is very important. Don't get me wrong. I, we are the most compassionate nation on the face of the earth. It's one of the things that makes us the great country we are. And yeah. we also, I also believe we have a moral obligation to assist those that uh, assisted our military in Afghanistan. But we can't just be blind and, and devoid our, our process of all common sense. We need to temper that compassion and moral obligation with an intelligence-driven robust vetting process. Why are we allowing anybody to set foot in America when we could go to a third country, slow down, take our time, and abundance of a caution rather than speed? Yeah. And we ju I just talked about that a little bit earlier with the, the interpreter being left behind by Joe Biden. I mean, like, in this in this crazy clown world we live in, there is there is literally the guy who helped save the president, the, the the would be president of the United States, and he gets left behind in Afghanistan. I mean, it, this is the loyalty we should expect from this administration on full display. Right, and, and the chaos. Look, DHS on a phone call this week, there was a report out there where they admitted. Well, yeah, they, they can't rule out that the sev several terrorist organizations that operate in Afghanistan, even though the president's a little confused whether al-Qaeda still exists or not, which they do, mm -hmm. um, it, it very clearly said this week on a phone call that, yeah, they can't rule out that, that the way that we execute this evacuation could have been exploited by a terrorist organization there. Right. It's absolutely horrific. Look, and it doesn't have to be this way. Again, it, it's just one bad a, a judgment leadership decision on top of another. Right. Why can't we get them to a third country, slow down, complete a vetting process that takes several months at, at a minimum before we allow them to set foot on our soil to protect our country? Right. It makes no sense. But I mean, look, you've seen what the customs was like at JFK Airport or something. Have 50 people on one line checking passports, initial screening. They go to the second screening where you have another 50 people vetting them. So you have two lines of screening. Then you let them into the airport. And then again, before they get on a plane, why don't you vet them again? I mean, this is the U.S. military. We overthrew Saddam's army in like less time than it takes to go to the moon. How can't we figure out how to vet people before we fly them 5,000 miles out of the country? We can. Carl, and you're, you're absolutely right. We can. We have the processes. Now, look, it's even 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 having said that, it's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, the, the the Department of State gave out generic forms, uh, applications for people. Look, with the way we rushed out of Afghanistan and now the Taliban in control, it's going to be hard to actually verify 
uh, some of these people would claim who they are. Well, I'm already starting to get reports as well that families aren't necessarily the families that they claim to believe, can't, uh, claim to be when they are loaded on planes. Yeah. And right now, I'm also hearing that some of these military bases, because right now, this is what, what American people don't understand. This administration is giving these individuals parole yeah. status. That's a legal status. Crazy. So right now, we're, we're, we're getting reports that they're walking yeah. off bases. Yeah, I feel like I get more invasive screening when I come back from, you know, vacation in Jamaica. Act, uh, former acting CBP Commissioner Mark Morgan, we appreciate you joining us, sir. Thanks, Carl. All right, we've made it to August 31st, and nothing went according to the week plan implemented. Let me be clear. Leaving August the 31st is not due to an arbitrary deadline. It was designed to save American lives. Sure it was. Joe Biden stepped up to the podium today and addressed the nation with some sort of word salad on the end of Afghanistan war. We're going to talk about that next. Imagine if we'd begun evacuations in June or July, bringing in thousands of American troops and evacuating more than 120,000 people in the middle of a civil war there still would have been a rush to the airport, a breakdown in confidence and control of the government, and it still would have been very difficult and dangerous mission. I mean, who was his speechwriter? He addressed the nation earlier today on the end of the 20-year war in Afghanistan, claiming that regardless of when the plan was executed, we would have resulted in the same outcome. He proudly stated that the withdrawal was a success after all and completed for the best interest of America. Well, former senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign and former White House director of strategic communications, Mercedes Schlapp, joins us. First off, as a communications expert, who is his speechwriter? <laughs> That's a great question. I think that, uh, you know, there's a, a, a mix of these speech writers and as well as those obviously from the national security team and the state department who will be involved and have been involved in getting these speeches done the problem is is you have uh the president delivering a speech a teleprompter speech but then he won't take any questions from the press when it's such an important matter, such an important policy matter, you don't just send out your press secretary. Right. It is the responsibility and the duty of the president of the United States to answer the tough questions. And he has turned his back time and time again. We also saw this with the secretary of state uh, yesterday, also gave a speech, turned his back, did not answer any of the tough questions. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, this is creating a lot of frustration, I think, with the press corps not being able to get their questions answered by the commander-in-chief. Yeah, and to your point, it's like 17 different people wrote that speech and they just mashed it all together and cut, copy, paste and sent them out there. I want you to take a look at this latest polling, though, regarding Biden's Afghan withdrawal. It says 52% of Americans say that Biden handled the Afghanistan situation poorly. I, who, who the heck are the other 48%? Do they live under a rock? <laughs> well, you know, I think what you see in other poll polls as well is that he's lost a lot of support amongst independents, uh, where he still has a loyalty is with the Democrat no. Party. Uh, so I think that the numbers to watch is where are the independent, what are the independents thinking? And quite frankly, I think that you've seen even members of the Obama administration, uh, those from the former national security team, uh, really critical of uh, President Biden and how he decided to swiftly evacuate from Afghanistan 
leaving Americans behind, leaving about $95 billion in our military equipment. That is simply a disgrace. Yep. Uh, you know, there's conversations of about 24 children that were part of a Sacramento school district that are stranded in Afghanistan. You have his own Afghan interpreter who served uh, President Biden in 2008, also stranded, left behind. Many of these interpreters, uh, as you know, worked side by side with our military. They're pro-American. Now they're getting letters from the Taliban saying, either you surrender or we execute you. Right. So many Obama officials, they're turning their back on Biden. I mean, they're just starting to throw him under the bus left and right. Take a look at this. This Afghan government was going to collapse rapidly because of the way in which we, we got out. I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. It unfolded quickly and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine and uh, that was not the case. It has created a global crisis, quite frankly. You cannot defend the execution here. This has been a disaster. Well, they clearly were caught off guard by the events over the last 72 hours. How his decision was made to withdraw, but then its execution. Uh, which has been so far catastrophic. Our national security is threatened. This is uh, a Dunkirk moment or perhaps a Saigon moment. This tragedy was completely preventable. I mean, I got about 30 seconds left to you. Completely preventable. Is this just the nail in the coffin for Joe Biden? Look, there is no way Joe Biden can recover following this catastrophe that he himself created. Uh, add to that the fact that we have high inflation and that's only going to get worse. Add to that the fact that the pandemic is still in a, in a we're in a bad situation and the chaos on the border. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, I just don't see how Joe Biden could make a comeback. And the Democrats are in a really difficult position. It's why you're seeing so many Democrats like Speaker Pelosi being so silent these days when it comes to Joe Biden. Jumping ship, former senior advisor of the Trump 2020 campaign and former White House director of strategic communications, Mercedes Schlapp. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right. We'll be talking COVID and the latest mandates coming your way with physician and Kansas Senator Roger Marshall after the break. Stay with us. All right, so the Biden administration and liberal governors across the nation are beginning to enforce mask and mask vaccine mandates. You need proof to go practically anywhere now, especially here in New York City. And it's also to attend a lot of things. The only thing you don't need proof of vaccination for is to sneak into the country over the southern border. So what's the real motive behind all this? Is it really for the best interest of your health? Well, physician and Kansas Senator Roger Marshall joins us now. Uh, Senator, I, I got to ask this is like, look, look at this right here. As we can see from, this is data, okay, that we've compiled over a number of states. Uh, masks don't seem to affect much. In Utah, cases rose after the mask mandates went into place. Same in North Carolina, Hawaii actually went down, but then came right back up again. Rhode Island is the only case that had a continuous downturn post mask mandate, but they were already declining at the time of the mandate. So, you know, do the why do these people continue to push stuff that there is actual data, you know, the party of science shows that it's not the most effective strategy for prevention? You know, I'm, I'm as baffled as you are. I, I would point out that most of the countries in the European Union are, are not using masks either. The World Health Organization doesn't think that masks help children. And certainly people that have been vaccinated or already had the virus. There's no studies out there suggesting the mask would be a benefit. 
I even reviewed all 88 articles the CDC is citing as uh, as science. And really, of the 88, two or three said maybe it helps a little bit. Several said it did not help at all. Mm. Look, we know the vaccines work. Uh, we know that natural immunity works as well. But the mask, you know, probably not so much. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up, that the natural immunity. For instance, I have had COVID myself. I recovered. I had a mild, very, very, you know, mild symptoms. Um, why is there not more pressure on the administration or on government officials or things like that to consider the fact that if you've had COVID and recovered, you have the same, let's say, freedom in society, even though we, we shouldn't have to negotiate for our freedom no matter what. Uh, but why, are they put, why aren't they lifting restrictions on people who've already had this and recovered where we know there is immunities from? Again, it does not fit their narrative. I've asked that question of Dr. Fauci and the CDC. Uh, and actually, I think the natural immunity provides better protection than the vaccines do. Our friends in Israel uh, published a study last week that shows that the, the natural immunity is probably 10 times better protection than the vaccines are. So natural immunity works, but it doesn't fit their narrative. They want to be in control of you. That's that's my only only guess that I can figure out. It's shocking to me because like I'm all for saving lives, and if I knew it was going to save lives, I'd be all in. But I, I'm glad you brought that up though, because one of the things we're not talking about in this whole thing is treatment. Okay, we're talking about masking, which is preventative, vaccine, which is preventative. We're talking about all these social distancing and all this stuff. Why do you have some even Democratic governors statewide or nationwide saying, hey, you know what? We're going to block the use of hydroxychloroquine. You know, we know that if you're healthier, if you have a regular gym regimen and you have less body fat, you're less susceptible to this disease. Yet they close down gyms. Why are we not talking about treatment and we're only talking about this arbitrary pre uh, prevention? Yeah, they have a one-size-fits-all solution to this, something from the White House, right? Uh, I do think the natural immunity has not been talked about enough. I think that building your own immune system has not been talked enough about, uh, that this disease uh, disproportionately impacts people with type 2 diabetes, for instance. Um, but there's there certainly are great medicines out there that are working. We're getting better at treating this. I've talked to a lot of good doctors across the country that feel that ivermectin has is, is really been helpful as well, but it simply does not fit their narrative. Um, meanwhile, I, I trust the relationship between the doctor and the patient to do what's best for them. I recently talked to a to a doctor that uh, a pulmonologist type of doctor who's treated thousands of patients with ivermectin, mm. and none of them ended up in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, and there's so there's some good studies out there starting to show it is supportive, even some controlled studies, prospective studies. Mm -hmm. Now. You, you recently put out a video, and I got about 30 seconds left, but I want to take a look at some of the origins uh, that you talk about in, the, in this video. Take a look. And interestingly, in December of 2019, the China CDC, which has a significant Communist Party military presence, moves to Wuhan as well, and most likely took over the cover-up. And finally, for December of 2019, Retrospectively, we now know blood samples collected in numerous U.S. states by the American Red Cross carried COVID antibodies. We now know the virus was in America at least a month before the first documented case. Now, Senator Roger Marshall, I, I got to say that if, if you're putting out a video like this on facts and data, is it being censored on social media? You know, we'll find out. We put it out today. But what I'm trying to show there is that the timeline needs to go back to September of 2019 when Dr. Xi first took a genomic lab data yep. bank from Wuhan offline. And then they continued to obfuscate 
and hide all the facts. So we'll find out later today if we get taken offline. But there's a there's some really solid information on this, and people can go to marshall.senate.gov and, and watch the whole video themselves. I'm sure garbage sites like Snopes will squash it and say, "Oh, it's it's we we did a fact check on it, and we found out that his hair was parted on the wrong side of his head, so we can't take it seriously." <laughs> Senator Roger Marshall, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, folks. The Taliban celebrates as the last American troops came out of Afghanistan. The Biden administration didn't just leave people behind. They left a complete arsenal, $80 billion worth. The Taliban's new air force, next. Well, you might think guys who live their entire lives in the rugged mountains of the poorest country on Earth don't know how to fly helicopters. But with a little help from China, probably, you'd be wrong. We're seeing that today, what's reported to be Taliban fighters flying American Black Hawk helicopters, you know, the ones that we left behind, that we gave. We gave the Afghan military. So we can't independently confirm the authenticity of the video, but there is several different angles. And since Biden's saying there's no more Americans left in there, who's flying them other than them? So the United States has completed its military withdrawal as of yesterday from Afghanistan. This withdrawal cost the lives of 13 U.S. soldiers I, I got to say, this is a, the perfect topic for my next guest, former Navy SEAL brethren, former FBI agent, author of Sheep No More, Jonathan Gillum. John, I got to ask, why did we leave helicopters? Why did we leave? Uh, I mean, helicopters are a big deal. But also, Carl, what about the fact of all these uh, cars, the ammunition, the thousands and thousands of guns? The reality is, you know, the Spartans said over 2000 years ago, if you go to war for more than three years, you're now training your enemy. Right. And that's exactly what's occurred. And I'm here in, I'm here in Arkansas right now with a bunch of red-blooded, Trump-loving Americans. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, and they are. We're, I like we're that guy. The, uh, we're here for the truck wagon races. And, uh, and I'm telling you something. Nobody here is fooled by what Joe Biden says. And everybody here, whether they've been in the military or not, they understand the reality of this, mm -hmm. these, this equipment that has been left over there. Um, and, you know, some of the guys that we know have told me the numbers are inflated because they've destroyed some of this stuff. But I, I think they're wrong in the way that they have made some of these things inoperable, but they can be made operable again with the help of people like China. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to talk about, we, we had a, we talked about it briefly last night, is the most concerning thing. Like, look, these helicopters in a couple months, the, the maintenance will wear out on them and they won't be able to maintain them. And I'm not too worried about them, like you said. But what I am most worried about is these 16,000 plus pairs of unaccounted for night vision goggles. You know as well as I, we own right. the night. We go out in the middle of the night, knock on bad guys' doors, sometimes don't knock. We take them back, capture, kill. And that is how we have our tactical advantage. If these guys have, there's the, the figures of what the stuff we left there. If these guys have the same technology we have to own the night, you know, it's going to be a little difficult if we ever have to go back in there. And like Leon Panetta says, we might have to. Yeah, we should have never left there, but that's a whole nother story. I mean, the, re the reality is I'm not saying we should have stayed there forever. But the reality is we should not have left until the enemy was either eliminated or the enemy was busted down to a point where they could not wage war in Afghanistan or, or around the globe, which is what's going to happen. Hmm. And when you look at this equipment that was left behind, especially I'm so glad you brought up night vision because our ability to own the night has always been what's helped the SEALs and special forces mm -hmm. do what they do. And when 
I mean, I've seen videos of these guys wearing our equipment, things like that. They look like a bunch of idiots that don't know what they're doing, like this guy right here in this picture. But the reality is those night vision, um, they already know that area better than we do. But with night vision, they're going to become a whole different story. And if people think that night vision is going to stay in Afghanistan, they're wrong. It's going to be spread all over the place. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a shocking thing to me. But the biggest problem I have with this whole thing is if you – I mean, you know – it, we were in the teams. If we lost our night vision on an op or in training or something like that, you it could mean your career. They just were like, right. here's like 600,000 guns. We're just going to leave them behind. Carl, if you were responsible for 13 people getting killed because of ill management, not only would you be relieved of your job, you would be charged with a crime and go to jail. Right. You're never going to have that with these, these incompetent generals. Joe Biden is never going to see the inside of a jail because they live in a different realm. And what they have done has, I want people to think about this, has cost Americans their lives. There's still people over there. There's contract service working dogs they just forgot about. And ultimately, the thing that people need to realize is that those are the people who are managing this country. Right. They're managing this country and destroying it. Elections have consequences. That was the cost of the last election. Former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, and author of Sheep No More, Jonathan Gillum. Appreciate it. You got it, brother. Thank you. All right. Coming up on Greg Kelly Reports, we have yet another case of indoctrinating, soiling our own children's minds. Stay tuned. Well, only in California, actually Newport Mesa, a teacher is no longer in the classroom after a social media post about her removing the U.S. flag, suggesting students should instead pledge allegiance to the pride flag went viral. The original TikTok video has been taken down, but the Internet's forever. So another account posted it on TikTok. Except for the fact that my room does not have a flag. It used to be there, but I took it down during COVID because it made me uncomfortable. My kid today goes, hey, um, it's kind of weird that we just stand and then, you know, we say it to nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got to find it. Like, I'm working on it. I got you. meantime i tell this kid we do have a flag in the class that you can pledge your allegiance to and he like looks around and he goes oh that one <laughs> okay let's unpack this for a second here Kristen pitson is a real name um she's the one who posted this video you're really made uncomfortable by the american flag why don't you go tell that to the 13 people who just saw their children come home underneath it just a thought You're in this country. You reap the benefits of this country under the freedoms of this country because of that flag. You fly whatever flag you want at home. But when my tax dollars are paying your salary coming from somebody in California, you sure as heck better fly that American flag. All right, folks, I'm Carl Higby in for Greg Kelly this whole week. Stand by for Stinchfield. He's coming at you.